welcome to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, or perhaps one of our wonderful radio syndicates across the country, or maybe on the podcast, which you can find on greenmajority.ca. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, my name is Stefan Hostetter. I am in studio uh, with Jared Kolb. Welcome. Um, hey, Stefan. <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, in some ways, I was going to say you're the executive director of Sigil Toronto, but that is actually just freshly not true. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Outgoing executive director. Yeah. So the to frame the show to our listeners, um, what we're actually going to do is spend the next hour or so talking about what you've learned and what your experience was advocating for cycling infrastructure here in the city. But I think before we sort of get get too big on that, it makes sense to start with, uh, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hi. Um, you know, I'm this kid that was supposed to be named Michael, but, you know, got named Jared because my mom learned at the 11th hour that my dad made a deal with his brother that all the kids had to be named with J's. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm Jared. Uh, and uh, it's good to be here. I uh, am, of course, the outgoing executive director of Cycle Toronto uh, and was uh, with the organization um, for the better part of nine years. Uh, and so have seen a lot of change in the city of Toronto, uh, a lot of change in uh, the cycling movement in the city of Toronto, as well as across, I think, North America. And yeah, it's an interesting moment to connect. Man, nine years. That's in like in nine years ago, to, for, for fun's sake, I think I was in third year university, <laughs> um, uh, perhaps fourth, I'm misremembering, but I certainly, but even at that moment, you know, I, I do remember that, that at that moment there was still a, there was still a level of urgency, I think, uh, within sort of the need for change, mm, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it had, uh, it's, it certainly had spilled over to how, to how we see it today. And my, I can only like the amount of cycling, cycling the city was very different. Mm-hmm. So can, can you sort of, sort of paint, uh, what Toronto looked like, uh, nine years ago yeah. uh, when you sort of began this journey. It's interesting, yeah, looking back to, to 2010 uh, and when I got involved with then the bike union um, uh, and we, uh, of course, changed our name to Cycle Toronto in 20, 2012. Um, but uh, at that time, in that summer of, of 2010, our mayor was, you know, David Miller. Um, <laughs> you know, we had uh, 44 city councillors. Um, you know, we uh, we had a city that um, was 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 different than it than it looks like today. Um, I think there was, you know, public opinion polls at the time were pointing towards a Rob Ford mayoralty, um, but many people, I think, were you know just shocked that that would ever come to pass. Um, and you know when I when I formally started working with Cycle Toronto fa- fast forward into 2011 as a full-time staff member you know it was an interest another fascinating moment Rob Ford had been elected and here we were working with you know his administration um, to try to broker a deal to build Toronto's first downtown protected uh, network of protected bike lanes um, and no one ever thought that you know Mayor Rob Ford would be building uh, protected bike lanes in well, the city of Toronto. Well, his whole thing was the war on the car, right? That's he right. literally got elected basically by enraging everyone who had a vehicle. And then the first thing he did was to remove the vehicle tax. Like he, yeah, like for those, you know, maybe not, you don't remember those, those dark days. Right. Um, not that they got much better. You know, this was a man who was, who won, I would argue, I'd say almost exclusively by advocating for car culture. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, he had, of course, you know, ending the war on the car as well as stopping the gravy train. You know, those were his key slogans. Um, And nobody thought it was possible. Nobody thought it would ever happen. 
you know, for those of us who were around through that period in the city of Toronto, it was a fascinating microcosm of populism that I think was something that we now globally, you know, pay a lot of attention to. Um, but, you know, I think we saw it in 2015. We saw Americans saying, no, it'll never happen here. Um, we've seen, you know, folks in Europe saying it'll never happen here. Um, but yeah, there's some interesting threads there and some interesting overlap, but really, you know, drilling in on cycling, it was really a fascinating time in that here we had this momentum building through working with Councillor Denzelman and Wong, um, and one of my colleagues, um, Andy Garcia at the time, working together to broker this network of protected bike lanes. So Richmond and Adelaide, Sherburne, Wellesley, um, Harvard, Hoskin, and, and a number of others. And uh, it was... What we didn't expect was uh, w the cost of that network, and we didn't learn it. It came by surprise um, on the floor of Public Works Committee at the time, where a motion was moved to remove bike lanes on Jarvis and remove bike lanes uh, in Scarborough on streets uh, like uh, Pharmacy and Birchmount. Uh, and so, you know, immediately that kind of brokered the, that 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 broke the deal um, that we were working on. Um, so momentum continued for that protect those protected bike lanes. Um, but we launched a campaign immediately uh, to save the Jarvis Street bike lanes, uh, and we tried to you know fight a, a very small fight to try to win back those Scarborough bike lanes. Ultimately, we wound up you know launching a legal challenge uh, on the Jarvis Street bike lanes. Did, did a lot of mass rides. Ultimately, we lost, uh, and those bike lanes were removed. You know, if you ride down Jarvis today, you can still actually see the old bike lanes. They're still on the pavement. Um, but, you know, there's some people that have said that those bike lanes had to die so that protected bike lanes could be born in this town. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's what history says. That's, that's how it happened. We would have liked to see it happen differently. But I think in that in that fire, um, I certainly, you know, learned a ton as a bike advocate. I didn't start out as a bike advocate. Yeah. So how did you start? Yeah. It's so interesting. There isn't... At least a decade ago, there wasn't a school that mm. I knew of where you, you know, kind of went to to learn how to change the world. No. Uh, and, you know, I, I was coming off of an experience at Dalhousie University where we had founded something called the College of Sustainability. Uh, and it was a new way of thinking, you know, that's uh, spread in many other uh, jurisdictions, but um, new way of thinking towards sustainability in the education system. And so coming, arriving in Toronto from Halifax, I, I kind of knew I... I liked a few things, you know, I, I really liked riding bikes. Um, mm. I really liked politics, like love talking politics. Uh, and I loved board games. Uh, I knew that, uh, especially, you know, strategic board games, right. you know, total nerd in that way. <laughs> um, and what I didn't really realize at the time was that those three things were kind of a perfect combination for uh, solving some pretty big problems when it comes to transforming our streets uh, to make them, you know, safer for, you know, uh, average Torontonians. Um, and so, you know, I, I, uh, I would say that a lot of my work uh, as an advocate, uh, you know, in the city um, came from some of those places. Yeah. So let's, so the, the bike riding, I think, is, is an obvious one. Yeah. Um, although I do actually think that it, what I, every, you know, like the most conservative member of my family is also a bike rider in Scarborough. Right. You know, right. like that's, yeah. these are two things that this person holds in together yeah. and, and has been a bike rider for years. And so there is that sort of element of, you know, can you get people out to just ride bikes? 
is is a, is almost an organizing tool uh, without anything else. You know, mm-hmm. like and Tickle Toronto has done that. Like you've done many mass rides. That's yeah. part of sort of the the tactics that you have used. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting to think. We've reflect, we've been talking about this, you know, just uh, as my departure has kind of grown closer and closer and then happened. Um, certainly, you know, as we've been chatting with, you know, the rest of the staff team, our advocacy committee and so on, you know, is this core question about, uh, you know, what is it uh, currently in the city of Toronto? You know, we've got this, you know, bold um, idea of achieving vision zero. <laughs> so, um, you know, eliminating all, you know, fatalities from traffic collisions, uh, eliminating all serious injuries from traffic collisions. Bold goal. But the plan is still, you know, still fairly incremental uh, in ter- towards getting there. And, you know, it's interesting in that so far this year, not a single cyclist has died uh, on, you know, Toronto streets. And, um, you know, last year, tragically, there were four people that were killed. Um, but, you know, compare that to pedestrian fatalities. And, you know, it's it's multiples higher than that. And yet here in the city of Toronto, you know, we don't have a, you know, full-time, um, you know, professional, professionally staffed pedestrian advocacy organization that's mm. just dedicated towards, you know, uh, pedestrian issues. Um, and in some ways, it's because it's also pedestrian. You know, you just kind of get out and you, you walk. Right. You, you know, you walk to the store or, you know, you're walking to school or... You know, it's not uh, it's not an identity forming piece of people's lives. Yeah, because in some ways, everyone is a pedestrian right. at some point, yep. and it is very uh, it's interesting. There are, I don't know anyone who identifies as a pedestrian, right? But, uh, but many people do identify as a cyclist. That's right. Yeah, and there's something that is different about it that you know is is um, identity forward in mm. some ways. Um, and so, you know, in part, our job, as we've seen it at Cycle, at Cycle Toronto over the last few years, has been focusing on um, really trying to, you know, eliminate the idea of being a cyclist, um, recognizing that to trigger mass cycling in many ways, like what's happened in Amsterdam and Copenhagen, is kind of going back to your the first principles of what you were just saying, Stefan, around... You know, I, I, I'm not a cyclist. Yeah, I ride a bike, um, right. but I, it's just because I got to get places and it's the fastest way to move. And, um, you know, it's an A to B kind of thing. Um, so I think it's interesting in terms of thinking about and unpacking that, that, that idea of being a cyclist. And so whereas I kind of came into this back in 2010 as a cyclist, you know, I biked across Canada. You know, I, I owned a road bike. I was a roadie. Um and it was a part of my identity here now as a father, you know, and a person, you know, approaching their 40s. Um, I don't really see myself as a cyclist anymore. Mm. I just see myself as I, I ride a bike. Right. Um, so that's something, really something that's changed. Um, I've heard many times that this city is growing at a rate that almost no other city is. I believe that Toronto has more cranes in the sky than any other city except maybe Seattle. Um, that was, I heard that about six months ago, so right. I don't know if it's still true, but you can certainly see how the speed at which, you know, more and more people are, are entering the city to, to live um, uh, at, at what, what feels like a pretty consistent and in, in, in big rate. And if we're honestly going to meet any of our sort of real climate goals, mm-hmm. that has to happen even faster, yeah. right? Like we desperately need densification almost more than anything. Yeah, I think that's right. And and it's it's not just Toronto, it's the greater Toronto and Hamilton right. area. As a region, we're growing unlike any other place in North America or in Europe. You know, there are places definitely in the global south that are growing faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
what's really interesting is the United Nations, you know, they put out a great report at the end of 2015 indicating that cycling can be part of the solution, but to do it really well, you need to pair it with transit investment mm. and that the two of them work magic together because transit's never going to pick you up at your home and drop you off at home uh, or drop you off at your destination. Um, but cycling is that link um, that'll enable you to be able to, you know, bike the 2K to the transit stop and then grab a bike share at your destination downtown. Um, so those things can have a really meaningful impact. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, that, that, so so this this that vision basically has the last mile effect being solved by right. what we see basically in in, in Bixie or net, what is now called city whatever whatever we call it here. I was going to say city bike Toronto bike share. Yeah. Toronto bike share here. Yeah. Sort of use all the different names that that's that right. come from the places. Um, and so that's so that's the that angle of of using it as a part of a. Of a, of a wider transportation network mm -hmm. is, is is growing and it's really interesting um, when you sort of see the the places the cities that seem to really have worked hard to find the way to solve this problem because when you uh, when you talk about city infrastructure and when you talk about um, trying to create cities that lower that have lower carbon the the, the city itself will, will identify itself as the three main like the you've asked the city of Toronto what its three main things are its transportation its waste and its its buildings mm -hmm. are the three that they sort of always identify yep. um, and and you can sort of see the the answers um, and, and and the answer for transportation people only can ever seem to, seemingly to imagine electric vehicles replacing personal vehicles. Right. Um, but the idea of this uh, sort of centralized transit opportunity um, where you can get, you know, you have one one pass that gives you access to, you know, to to a, to a bike when you need one, to transit when you need it. And then there are some that even include other things like occasionally like something, the version of what we'd have as a zip car mm -hmm. if you ever need to go outside of the city. Yep. And it's like you become, it's trained, it changes transportation into a service. That's right. um, and and that is a and that's a fundamental sort of shift and, and biking has to be a part of that too mm -hmm. yeah yeah I tend to agree um, and I think you know we're seeing like our you know our provincial tra or our, you know regional transit authority you know making uh, really on side with that although unfortunately that kind of rubbed up against the you know, wishes of the new provincial government, uh, <laughs> and unfortunately, their mandate was changed. But um, I think that you know, you're you're dead on with that one. Yeah, and we'll yeah, hopefully we'll yeah, we'll we'll leave that one for them. <laughs> uh, we're we're coming up uh, to our first music break, uh, so we'll throw that and we'll come right back uh, here with Jared Kolb on CAUT eighty nine point five FM. This middle section, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, tactics. Mm -hmm. If we can sort of pivot, maybe actually we'd pivot to your, your, your sort of the if the first section was about cycling, the second section would be about politics, and the third section we'll talk about board games. <laughs> um, yeah, and so from the from the from the the tactics side, what so mm -hmm. what like what what have you learned? Um, yeah. And I, I don't that might be a huge question, so we can start somewhere and go there. But sure, yeah. But what have you learned? It's so interesting. I I think that. Um, Organizations, nonprofit organizations, you know, charitable organizations, um, you know, but really, you know, small, you know, community organizations, you know, local parks group. I think it's it's fascinating to think about uh, the power that uh, organizations can have uh, to change our cities uh, and, by extension, changing the world. Um, I, you know, very much, you know, grew up in a family of. 
you know, very much a can-do attitude. I've got a grandpa that, you know, was a, a, a village alderman. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I grew up listening to my dad and my grandpa argue about politics and was welcomed into that, which was which was awesome. And that helped me, you know, spur me into this interest into politics and running for student council when I was a kid and so on. But, um, you know, took a break from a lot of it in my 20s. But the thing that, that I think really, like the core, th- one of the core things that I think I've learned from all of this is that as individuals, we have very little power. Uh, and often we feel a sense of powerlessness, uh, especially in the face of a lot of intractable problems that we face. Um, and yet when we organize, and sometimes, you know, it can just be a handful of people. Um, but when we organize collectively, we have a disproportionate amount of power as a group. Um, and I think that's something, you know, a core thing that I, you know, very much applied to our work at Cycle Toronto. You know, here, here's this organization with, you know, just shy of 3,000 members right now, you know, in a city of nearly 3 million people. And yet as an organization, you know, we can transform streets um, to make them safer for people that ride a bike and, and also for pedestrians and for, for drivers. Um, and so... I think there was a very much an iterative process. You know, there was there was some training that I got, you know, in the early days, like how do you win a campaign? How do you put a campaign together? Mm-hmm. Like what are the effective tactics that you use? Um, and, uh, you know, I think one of the places that that really, really shone um, in, in the early days was after the kind of mayor for mayoralty had crumbled um, and we were into the new... Uh, election cycle in 2014 and you know Olivia Chow was out of the gates early as a front runner John Tory then jumped in you know and he was making gains um soon enough you know he was leading in, a, in opinion polls and he was saying things on on radio on talk radio you know that he was opposed to these new bike lanes on Richmond and Adelaide um he was you know opposed to this proposal to transform Eglinton um to create one of the biggest and longest uh, bikeways uh in the country uh and so you know we put out some press releases in terms of trying to get his attention saying you know you got this backwards john um and you know that really went nowhere uh and so uh you know then we kind of start dialing up the pressure um and so we at cycletron really try to take an incremental approach to how we dial up our activism we try to start always i think the like winning strategy you know forevermore and uh the the classic game of tit for tat is always open with a collaborative move uh Mm -hmm. and then mimic your opponent Mm -hmm. um and so we always try to start collaboratively um but when our opponent starts in a hostile posture we'll take a hostile posture back uh and so you know we put out those press releases um nowhere uh and then we started to use the power of our membership um and so we asked all of our members to um you know write an email to the campaign team and say you know we want john tory to embrace you know our campaign to build a citywide minimum grid reverse its positions on richmond and adelaide and on eglinton and we got about you know 300 people that wrote they copied us and you know we heard nothing it was crickets um And so then, you know, a week later, we went back to those 300 people and we said, hey, today, this morning, right now, can you call John Tory's office? And can you say, you know, I care about this stuff. You know, I'm I'm considering voting for you, but not if you, you know, don't reverse your positions on these things. Um, And so, you know, a bunch of people were phoning. It was great. And then I got in touch with some of our, like, higher value members uh, in Midtown, especially um, folks who were, you know, Bay Street folks and said, can you please call today? Make sure you identify yourself and so on. 
it was fascinating. The next day, you know, I picked up the phone and it was, you know, hey, I'm, this is John Tory's campaign manager. What, what do you want? Are you just trying to get her attention or, you know, do you want something from us? Uh, you had been so clear. You feel like everyone calling had said what you wanted. You'd said what you wanted. That's right. You're just trying to make us look bad. Uh, or do you actually want to work together? And we're like, we want to work together. Let's, let's talk about this. And so that led to some campaign, you know, meetings, you know, and it wound up leading to a John Tory's first bike ride in the downtown core. Um, he had never ridden a bike in the downtown core. Not as a, not as a, an adult or as a politician. I think, you know, when he was a kid, he did. Um, wow. But he never had. And so, you know, kudos to him. It was like a, 10 kilometer ride he was <laughs> he was sweating uh and we rode you know a lot of the new infrastructure that the previous administration had built we got onto richmond and adelaide you know at bathurst and at that time it was a pilot project uh and only it had only it only went to university so it was the first phase of the pilot and so we rode along adelaide and i'll never forget we got to university you know the light goes green we pass through and the bike lane disappears and now mayor john Tory, you know he was just kind of like what Where, what do i do now uh and you know we had to pass a car he nearly got doored we had to pull over he was like was that one of your members uh and we we're like no like sorry john but like why and he was just aghast at why do those lanes disappear what just happened uh and you know i think seeing is believing and um you know a week after that there was a press conference for uh, to open those bike lanes on richmond and adelaide that had just been built and you know he came out and he said that you know he he was strongly in favor of the richmond adelaide bike lanes wanted to see them extended uh and you know i think i think that that really was one small example of how you can how you know politics is very local but also you know engagement really is an important part of the process of getting politicians uh to move on issues and, and also just the fact that it seems so i guess it seems so obvious but then also i guess it's, it's somewhat hard to do you don't look at the people who do it but the fact that it's like no like you're against something you've never tried and the second you do it, you're like, Oh wait, never mind. You know? <laughs> like I, I, like I feel like I'm so consistently, you can see that, uh, in, in a variety of places of so how often someone can, can think something's not useful until they use yeah. it once. And then suddenly yeah. they're like, Oh, Oh no. Yeah. No. Why did that happen? You yeah, know, like, that's right. That's right. And for, you know, to, to, you know, to John's, um, probably his point is that, you know, he probably never really considered riding a bike. He probably thought about it as something his kids or his grandkids used. And there's lots of people that think that, and I, I get it. Um, and I think, though, uh, it was certainly a credit to him that he reversed his position on that. And, um, you know, it's uh, it, it, it was... Obviously, Richmond Adelaide is a like a core part of the spine of, oh, of the the network. Oh man, yeah, like you, you know, Richmond is uh, the, a guy lived a little on the East End, and so or the east side of the thing. And Richmond is so great; you just mm. get on it, and you're just yeah, it's it's one way with a bike lane. It's like it's it's everything you can sort of. It's it's the closest uh, I feel it will get to something that's truly truly transformative in some ways. Yeah, it's a wide lane, and you know the Richmond Adelaide lanes for you know for folks who are, aren't familiar, um, there was a city staff report that came out earlier this year to make these lanes finally permanent after mm -hmm. five years of being a pilot. Uh, and what that staff report documented is that you know there was a tenfold increase in the number of um, people that were riding you know in percentage terms over a thousand percent. But really interestingly is that they converted one motor vehicle lane to a cycle facility and during rush hour they found that that um, that lane is moving more people per 
um, you know, on bicycles um, than e- any of the individual adjacent lanes. Um, so, you know, really thinking about this as like, this is money well spent. This was yeah. $800,000 um, to move, you know, what turns out to be four or five, 6,000 people, you know, per day, which is really cool. Yeah. And in such a specifically, like, it, what's interesting is that it does flip once again the conversation from, you know, this is not, this is good infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. It's, 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 and I think that's so common. Uh, how quick, how much we can see, or how invisible I think, in some ways, a car infrastructure can become. Mm-hmm. You know, like like how much the fact that all of our streets are car streets, and yeah. like the idea you want to give any part of it over to a pedestrian or a bike is somehow like taking away or an attack on something. And it's like, but like everything else is already yours. You yeah. already have the rest of the space. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and it's this, and, but, but I think it's so ingrained in our brains and also in some ways how the space was built, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that's, that, that's so, that's so key. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get back to sort of, uh, sort of back to sort of your, your original point about the importance of organizing mm-hmm. and the importance of having those 300 voices. Yeah, so, that's right. So, like, this is, so what's funny is you had 3000, you asked for a thing, you got 300 yep. and, in doing so and using those 300 effectively, you've changed the lives for now, you know, what, 6,000 people who take uh, Richmond or Adelaide a day. That's right. That's you know? right. Yeah. And, and, and those, and, and what's funny is that like that's 300 people in a city of 3 million is, 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 is nothing. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, that's, it's a, it's a, it's not even a large concert venue. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's a small concert venue. That's it's right. like, it's like the Horseshoe Tavern. Like, you know, like if the FN, the Horseshoe Tavern decided they wanted to change something in the city, if, you know, if they're organized in a way, maybe they could. Yeah. And that's it. And, and, you know, I, I, I say this to our, you know, all the advocates that are, you know, part of Cycle Toronto often. And, and that's that, you know, if there's. If there's a park, you know, in your neighborhood that you want to improve, you know, you wish that the swimming pool was open later or you wish that the playground, you know, had better amenities for your six year old. You know, it's it's an incredible thing to, you know, really get a, uh, a group of people on your street together and say, you know, we want this. Um, you know, I think uh, our elected officials, uh, by and large. Um, you know, are responsive when people organize. Uh, and so if you can get a petition, you know, with a hundred names on it, um, you know, by just standing in your park and asking people to sign, that is a calling card that will get you a meeting with your local official. It may not get anything done immediately, but it sets the ball mo- in, in motion um, to, to, for that change. And so, and the challenge is that there's, there's nowhere really to go and learn this stuff. Hmm. Like there's no school that's, that, as I said earlier, there's no school for change that, you know, you can go and, and actually get a course in, okay, how do I change my park? Um, Dave Maslin, of course, just recently released his book, uh, which is an excellent overview of a lot of great ideas in terms of how to renew and restore you know, our democratic uh, society in many ways. Um, but uh, I highly recommend that. But I think there's, there's no real practical uh, solution there except for um, really the, the basic principles of organizing. Um, so I, I, I think that we all have uh, a great deal of power when we organize. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so to, to I, I, what's funny about that is that, that, that is so one thing that I've, 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 we've talked about a bunch and we've had some different people on and we've just sort of, I've had versions of this conversation from time to time is just the sort of idea of like what, what getting involved even means, mm, yeah. you know, like I feel like we're so constantly, 
constantly telling young people to get involved. Right. Yeah. And and I remember even from the time when I was you know when I ten years ago when I was when I was around I I I remember being told to to I remember hearing this as like oh you just got to get involved. Right. And I just remember being like, that's not a thing. <laughs> Like involved yeah. doesn't exist. Like, right. like, like that's not like that's that, that's not an I. There's not a school for invo- like. There's, there's like I. I remember finding myself sort of frustrated in this sort of because honestly, often the people who say that are not really you know they don't even know what they mean. Right. They just sort of say you know. And the funny thing is that like in this example of of this getting involved, the getting involved was someone you you know they gave you thirty dollars for uh for a membership. That's right. Um and then and then when you asked for them to call someone, they called someone. Mm-hmm. And that was this level of involvement, yep. right? And then and then you know for or for these and and but I like that is sort of like I do I do wonder what uh we as as organizers can do to 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 help people feel easier to get involved like mm-hmm. like yes there isn't a, there isn't a school but like you know what are the what are the steps are the steps really just fine you know like because like there's one thing to be the person who's the organizer like i have a park that i want to improve right yeah. but it's another thing to be a person who's sort of like i don't want to i want to help right yeah. um and yeah. and and so i wonder if there's any learnings about sort of like who are the best helpers you know like yeah. like who are like you know there's you have you have you have 3000 members right now uh, mm-hmm. and i'm sure some of them are very good helpers and i'm right. curious like how how best do helpers help it's interesting yeah i mean i think that I think that there's a few organizations here in town in Toronto that are putting on trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able to expose people to the tools that they need to be able to make those changes, you know, in the, in the early days for cycle Toronto, you know, in our, in our propelling change handbook, you know, one of the things that we used to offer as uh, guidance to our ward advocates. So the city's made up of a number of wards, uh, and we have ward groups. Um, so with the view that who cares what Jared, you know, as the head of cycle Toronto has to say, um, um, but, you know, I'm going to listen to my local constituents, so let's organize on a ward-by-ward or community-by-community basis. Uh, and one of the things that we used to say and, and still do to this point is, you know, get some small wins under your belt. Uh, you know, it really helps to propel momentum. So, you know, we would tell, really instruct our, our ward advocates to say, just like work on uh, ring and post bike parking work to get a few bike corrals, you know, in your, in your community. Uh, and it's amazing what that does. It's like, wow, we did that. Like there's now bike parking in our local library. Um, you know, we're in front of our favorite shops. Uh, and that really helps to like, it's a, it's a dry run in some ways in terms of a lot of the little tools that you got to use to make bigger change, uh, and also helps to make you feel good and, and, uh, build some momentum. Um, so I think that, uh, that, taking an approach of starting small and building is is really important you can you can apply that to to schools you know local schools you know maybe it's uh, something a new menu on the item you want to get um and you want to get how do you make that happen you've got to organize um so i really think that organizing is about thinking about you know all the resources that we all contribute every day through our tax dollars you know through our consumer choices um and is about um, bringing a common voice to be able to impact that, um, to create the change that we're that we're really trying to see. Yeah, man, that's that, there's there's so many pieces of, um, of 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 little of little threads there, and and I think the one that I'm that I'm that I'm sort of interested in right now is is this sort of that there is this you know that some of the like the, these sort of basic organizing principles of 
of just getting in front of people, you know, of, 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 of bringing them together. Um, and then, and then sort of growing, growing that in some ways, um, is, and then, and then it's interesting. What's funny about this is that even that sort of element of, there's a little bit of strategy in the word thing. Like the word thing doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that it's it pretty quickly and pretty clearly. And I think this is true, especially within, within city uh, strategy. I think it's a little different uh, provincially and federally maybe, mm-hmm. but within, within city strategy, this idea of you, of, of, of needing each individual politician to find their, you know, to find their own ward group to be the people who are sort of the ones now right. talking to them. Yeah. That's strategy, right? That, that, that's, a, that's a thought of like, well, you know, if, if, and I think is the thing that is, has been perhaps allowed, allowed for cycling infrastructure to win in places where other advocacy things have not, is the fact that you were able to, um, to personalize it and to put it into individual wards, mm-hmm. which which then have direct people, right? That's like right. it's like, oh no, yeah. it's you know here is this is in my community. These yeah. people want this bike post. These people want this thing. That's right. And and that's a that's a strategic decision because because in some ways it is you are drawing from where is the power, yep. and then how to shift power, mm-hmm. and then who has that thing, and then who are the pieces you need to target to shift that power. Right, mm-hmm. so there is a strategy there that's sort of thought through about that starts in some ways from where the power begins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, and and it's I think that's what I love about municipal organizing is that you know by and large it's a it's a nonpartisan environment. You know, local councilors you know have a tremendous amount of authority you know in their communities. Um, you know, we in in Toronto we have a weak, a weak mayor system, so you know the mayor really you know, lives and dies by his popularity across the city or her popularity across the city. And um, they are uh, ultimately, um, they've got to build consensus. Uh, And so there's a deep amount of influence that, you know, people can have on the municipal process, which is uh, fantastic. Um, I think, you know, with the provincial and the federal uh, levels of government, Elections matter even more than mm. they do at the municipal level. Um, you know, you uh, have got to put a really great election strategy together several years before the election um, to try to influence party platforms uh, and ultimately to ensure that your issue uh, is an issue that's been being considered, you know, strongly. Um, so it is a different, it's definitely a different mm. game. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's that's something that is uh, really uh, something that can restore people's trust um, yeah. in our democratic institutions right here, right in Toronto, right in your local community, wherever you are. Uh, and we have we all have a, an amazing amount of power when we organize. Yeah, and, and that little bit there, uh, before we go to music break, I want to touch on that before we head into one more music break, um, which is this the idea that like, I, I've said a couple times in the show this concept that, you know, people who've existed in organizations before, right? most people have existed in some version of organization, whether or not it's a company or um, or a community group or whatever. Yeah. And and in those organizations, I think people sort of get the sense of how of of of, of how they of how they function. Yeah. Um, but I I, I, feel, I do feel like especially in 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 Canadian politics, we've sort of forgotten gotten that we are a part of a bigger one called the country mm. you know like it's almost as if we've we've lost this belief that what we are actually is a big organizing body trying to figure out how to exist mm-hmm. and that that be, i think in part maybe in part because you don't have that direct influence that you can have in counselors and to go back to you know dave meslin's book this is you know i'm sure 
is a big part of that, um, is the fact that, you, and, and that's what loses the trust. Or loses, yeah. what, what, what loses your trust is, is when you do all the work to think you've gotten somewhere, and then someone gets in power and then doesn't do what they're saying they're going to do, yeah. or, or, or maybe just, or, or does other things, or does it in the way you, that, that they, they didn't promise how they do it, or, or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. And I think that, that to me is so fundamentally destructive mm-hmm. to, to everything. And, and, it, and the, these ways of being like, no, look, we got a bike corral outside. Like we asked for one and it's there now mm-hmm. is a constant reminder that you can influence change. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, I think it's funny. Like I think about, <laughs> I think about the role playing games and the board games I played. Right. Uh, and, you know, everybody's got a job. You know, you, you need to know what you're good at. And I think that's that's an important part of, about organizing that often gets overlooked is that, you know, you need a good event planner in your group, right? right? Like you need somebody who's a good strategist. You got to have somebody that is really good with people. Um, you got to have somebody that like likes to cook, like right. these kinds of things, because that's what really helps gel a group together. Uh, and so... I, I always recommend is like, you know, ensure that you've got different jobs and different responsibilities in the group and work hard to like find people um, who have, who are really good at those things. Don't try to change people into becoming good at those things. Uh, and so everybody's got a place, uh, but it's, it's different based on your skills. Yeah. Um, so I, we'll come back to the board games because that's how we're going to end this thing off. Uh, that was the, se- the, the politics section. So we're heading to one music break and then we'll come back uh, talking to, well, I'm going to say board games and, and, and whatever else comes to us. Um, uh, this is the Green Majority on CAUT 9.5 FM. Uh, take it away, music break. So to to pick up um, where you sort of left off about this sort of this this need to understand the different skill sets that are needed, I think it's mm. fascinating because there was an article I recently read that was sort of like this is what your campaign you, you've done as a campaign these are the people you need mm-hmm. and and the first thing that that was listed was your basically was like. Um, the person who is uh, who is the face of the campaign. Let's talk about political campaigns. Mm. As the person in the face of the campaign um, should not, in any circumstances, ever be running the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like if the person who is, is running the campaign, you're already wrong. Give up and go home. <laughs> And it was like, what they should be good at is talking to people yeah. and, 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 and conveying a, a point uh, clearly uh, and holding babies. Like, these are the things. <laughs> and, and the person who runs the campaign is somebody else and they have a different skill set. That's right, yeah. Um, but I do think that there's this idea that, you know, I, I think that we maybe fall too much constantly into a hierarchical structure mm-hmm. that sort of presumes that whoever is the most forward facing is the person who has to have, who is, has to lead the things. Right, yeah. Um, and, and in that there is, and that we don't fully appreciate the number of, um, different ways that all these other skill sets are necessary. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like the idea of, like, of, of, of reframing an organizing team as, you know, a Dungeon and Dragons group, you know, like who's going to be the mage, right? Like someone has to be the healer. Yeah. <laughs> like someone, you know, like there, there are these pieces of it. Cause like more often than not, you do, you think of it more in, in the, uh, you know, work side of things, yeah. right? Like who is going to be the communications person? Right. Who is going to be the, you know, these other thing. And, and it, 
I, I, I do think that actually flipping that to more or maybe more holistic exist experiences might actually be more effective when running these kind of campaigns. Yeah, you know, Magic the Gathering might resonate with you and me, Stefan, but, you know, it might not resonate with everybody. Um, what? <laughs> no. I refuse. <laughs> Everyone is into this. <laughs> um, but regardless, you know, we need we need jobs. And I would say, you know, on, on campaign teams. Um, but I think that there's also really good principles around, you know, trying to build consensus. Uh, because I think... You know, uh, oftentimes when we're trying to make change and we're building out campaign teams, you know, in our experience at Cycle Toronto, we have people that are employed by different organizations on those campaign teams. And then we have lots of local residents and they're, you know, they're giving their time. Um, and we want to make sure that, you know, that their voices are really valued and heard. And um, we really embrace that philosophy. So we have really tried hard to work by, a, you know, a process of consensus. And sure, we butt heads sometimes and there's disagreements. But um, I think we're stronger from that. Um, and so, you know, setting out, it's funny, like, again, like a terms of reference for a campaign team. But how are we going to operate? Um, how are we going to make decisions? These are things that are useful that have been done many times before and you don't need to reinvent the wheel when you've got your campaign team going, when you're trying to get that local improvement to your park or your street. Um, but it really helps uh, when uh, a conflict does emerge. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'd say that from... I, I've stopped playing as many board games um, <laughs> in the last few years, in part because this is what city council is. Right. Uh, and moving power is... Uh, fundamentally, um, one giant board game, and I think that's that's what I've always what I've found so exciting about it is that at the end of the day, you need a majority vote at city council to get something done, and so you've got to work backwards from that. Your campaign team's got to work backwards, and you've got to look and say, okay, well, you know, how are we going to move Joe Cressy on this? How are we going to move Francis Nunziata on this? Um, you know, how are we going to get to yes? Uh, and often that means holding multiple realities in your mind at once, um, having multiple paths and being able to improvise on the structure that you've put into place. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe your mage, you know, it's gotta be a really great improviser. Um, and maybe your healer is your structured, you know, here's how we cast that spell. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, you really do need, uh, I think to, to really be results focused and in, in terms of getting to yes. You know, I'll also say about Cycle Toronto is that, you know, when I, when I took the reins, you know, we, we only had like a few thousand bucks left in the bank. You know, I was the, I was the only staff person, um, and uh, and it was a challenging time. And now here we are as an organization, you know, we're approaching a $600,000 budget. You know, we've got seven full-time staff, huge and very talented volunteer pool and lots of part-time staff. And it's uh, incredible. And so I do think that in, in the nonprofit sector, um, sometimes, you know, we often, I think, uh, get tied up in chasing, chasing the dollars. Um, and, you know, we'll go after one big grant and we do it because it's a good use of our time. You know, if we can, you know, fund our budget from one big funder, you know, of course we want to do that. We're incentivized to do that. But I look back at one of the key things that the early Cycle Toronto board did was, which was we had one of those big time seed grants and they said, we don't want to be grant dependent. Mm. Um, so we have to create different revenue streams. And so on the board were some different business minded people and 
I've got a bit of a business background, and so um, we've created a, this really diverse mix of revenue that I think keeps our organization really strong. And so, you know, one you know uh, segment can take a hit, and we can be generally okay. Um, whereas there are other organizations, you know, that just have to close up shop when the government changes because the grant stream has dried up. Yeah, I've I've seen I've seen a number. I remember I've, I've had a couple organizations um, in in my work who've just yeah seven staff, and then they miss a grant and they're gone. Yeah. And it's within two weeks, yeah. you know, like these are these, these are these things that have been built up and I'm so constantly reminded, I guess, of how easy uh, it is to tear things down and how hard it is to build things Yeah, and like to lose, to, to what, to lose like a seven person, seven, like it, that's years to build that back up. Even if you got the grant, you even got money again in six months, mm-hmm. like the, the, the length of time it takes to build an organizing, build a thing is so much longer yeah. than it takes to, to lose the whole thing. And so that, so that the ways, ways to find and to diversify your ability to exist, yep. you know, is, it seems to me is remarkably important. Yeah, and it's it's maybe some in some ways we've seen this from some political campaigns south of the border. You know, Bernie Sanders, you know, uh, campaigning on this idea that he's raised millions and millions and millions of dollars from small you know small change um, mm-hmm. from small donations. And you know, I think that that is something that as we're maturing as a city in terms of um, you know building out a, a city that's really you know environmentally and economically um, and socially you know sustainable uh, you know a key part of that is our nonprofit sector and what's amazing is that you know it may not it doesn't it's, it's not a lot of money you know five bucks a month but giving five bucks a month to cycle Toronto giving it to the Toronto Environmental Alliance giving it to TTC riders um, you know that can that goes a long way uh, and so you know I, I certainly this is definitely my plug for mm-hmm. uh, you know really funding um, our nonprofit sector um, because uh, ultimately they're the ones that are best positioned um, to be able to make some of those big changes and have impact on power to move resources um, on the issues that we all care so much about yeah yeah because and, and because in some ways they've already begun the organizing and and if, and if you're looking for a way in you know just just being a, a small do- donor and getting on that mailing list you know yeah. is a is, is is the beginning of of, of, of being able to take real action yeah, you know that's and right. um, yeah like the, just the, the number of different organizations that you that are out there like the, the thing the thing that I think if I could if I could dispel one myth, I think that exists within uh, within society. It is the idea that some of these organizations are huge, right? Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> like like the number of of organizations that I know that are national organizations mm. that are doing incredible work and are like four staff. Yeah, and and so and then something happens and everyone's like, well, why didn't you figure that? That's because there's four of them. <laughs> you know, like it's like they might they might be able to have a good comms list and they might have like something else, but like this is not like n- very 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 few organizations are big. Yeah. You know, like I I think when people think about even like the large some of the largest environmental or, or large nonprofits uh, you know in the in, in Canada, mm-hmm. I I think you'd be shocked at the number of full time staff that exist in these mm-hmm. places, mm-hmm. um and 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 I think it's that idea that that they are so big, so they so they so they so what's five bucks right yeah um you know but five bucks is actually is like is important like yeah. it really is because they are not you know they like 
there are yeah it's it, there's just such a pervasive belief like i'm sure you, the psycho toronto constantly had this misunderstanding that people probably thought you're like well why haven't you figured out why this one bike thing in like northeast etobicoke hasn't happened yet right, and you're yeah. like because there's just three of us yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right like we you know we've got seven staff now and um you know we've got as an organization, you know, Cycle Toronto's got, uh, you know, really four or five major campaigns. Um, you know, Bloor, Danforth, Eglinton, Young, um, and a campaign, you know, to fight bike theft. Uh, and those are, that's where the majority of our advocacy dollars go towards. That's where, you know, member dues go for. And, you know, you think like, well, holy, what? Like, you've only got four streets? Right. You're like, well, you know, these are four huge streets. Um, and there are hundreds of businesses and tens of thousands of residents. And, you know, they're massive campaigns uh, along each of them. But, you know, it, often it takes years to organize to get things done and and I think that's that's certainly been um, a something I've learned through this work is that you know why why can't this happen faster you know here you've got other cities around the world that are moving way faster than Toronto in terms of building bike infrastructure and that is true and yet there are very few cities that were forced to amalgamate um, <laughs> you know by a premier uh, you know against total opposition um, from all of the you know smaller municipalities um, which is what happened in Toronto and so we've got this really this you know s- an amalgam of a city that is unlike Montreal and is unlike Vancouver um, you know we're an amalgamated city and we have to broker uh, relationships and agreements with people from right across the city uh, and so you've got to be able to get to yes with councillors from Etobicoke from North York from down the downtown from Scarborough uh, and that makes organizing really tricky um and so it means uh often that you know it's it things are moving slower than i think anybody that rides a bike would like (laughs) um but uh you know it's a it's a key part of i think the mix in terms of what we've learned um but but yeah i think that uh, it's. I think if, if nonprofits, though, generally speaking, if there's one thing they all could do to improve, um, it would generally be about communicating the impact of five dollars, of hundred dollars, of a thousand dollars in terms of what that's going to deliver. I think we've seen a lot of really good work actually from the international development sector on this. You know, you know, uh, buy a lamb for right. you know this is what this will do for this family uh and we've tried to take that in terms of our work and like what does 200 dollars do at cycle toronto mm. um so communicating that clearly i think all nonprofits can do a better job of that um but uh, uh regardless a small small change has a big impact yeah um so the the last question um and then i'll give you a chance to sort of uh, give a you know, a picture of whatever, to really whatever you like. Um, the, the last question uh, is, is a pretty simple one, uh, but I'm, it's mostly because I'm curious. What are you most proud of? Hmm. Hmm. What an interesting question. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much um, from the last nine years. Um. You know, I, I, I'm going back and forth in my mind between a few things. Mm. Um, you can, you can name them off. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, uh, the, the victory that we had on Bloor street, uh, was huge. Uh, and you know, it feels in some ways like a toehold, you know, on, on, a on a, 
one of Toronto's busiest, you know, streets that connects Etobicoke right out to Scarborough, you know, Bloor and Danforth. Uh, and, you know, uh, critics often, you know, look at Bloor and they're like, well, you know, it's two and a half kilometers. Like, what are you talking about? You know, it's was, it was probably the two, the hardest two and a half kilometers that the city will ever build um, of protected bike lane infrastructure. Um, and the amount of, the sheer amount of organizing, the amount of collaboration that was required. You know, there's, there's really uh, one of the challenges in organizing is is our egos. You know, everybody's got their perspectives, and it's it can be difficult um, to organize in in a context of people with a lot of like big ideas. Um, but being able to find a way through that, um, I think Bloor was an example of a lot of people working together with a lot of really smart campaigning, um, and uh, for my part, executing a really strong strategy to win that vote um, and to court power. Uh, to be able to, to get it done and so that a lot of people see it now as their victory. Um, you know, uh, Joe Cressy sees it as his victory. Mike Layton sees it as his victory. But on the other side of the political spectrum, John Tory sees it as his victory. Uh, and so it's in some ways risen above, um, you know, the partisan divide, which is which is just amazing. Um, you know, I, the other, on the other side, I would say that uh, helping to, to found uh, Friends and Families for Safe Streets here in Toronto is also another really something I'm, I'm so proud of. And that's, you know, this, um, an organization that, is as as many people know, uh, road violence is something that Im- impacts you right across the political spectrum. Um, you know, in Toronto, there's you know, 50, 60, or 70 people each year who are killed um, by you know drivers in the city. Um, they're involved in traffic collisions. Many, many hundreds more severely injured. Many thousands more, you know, minor with minor injuries. Um, and what Friends and Families for Safe Streets is is a group that uh, organizes survivors. Um, and I got a chance to attend a conference in New York City, um, the Vision Zero Cities conference, and they had this this idea of families for safe streets there, and uh, they were really able to make some change um, in terms of influencing power. And so, you know, when I got back after that conference, I got on the phone with a bunch of people saying, we've got to do this here in Toronto. We've got to bring a, a group to Toronto. And so I was able to work with some, you know, some folks who have lost so much. Kasha Brigman Sampson, you know, she lost her husband, Tom. He was hit while riding a bike. And David Stark, you know, he lost his wife. She was just walking the dog when she was hit by a car. Um, and, you know, these are folks who got involved on the early steering committee and became the spokespeople for the group. And, and I think Friends and Families for Safe Streets is one of those groups that has been able to influence, uh, be really bold about, you know, how our city is failing um, victims of road violence and how we can do so much more to safeguard people. So I'd say that's another one. And, and final, I'll just end it mm-hmm. on this one. And that's just, you know, Cycle Toronto as an organization. You know, it is uh, it is so strong. Uh, it is um, vibrant. It's, it's rooted in so many different places in the city. Um, it's got a lot of work ahead of it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's my baby. And, you know, here I am, outgoing executive director. And, you know, in some ways it feels like it's, a, it's an amicable breakup, um, you know, but with kids. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I'll, I'll make sure to pick, pick a little, the little guy up for, for soccer practice. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think I'll always, uh, it'll always have a, uh, a real special place in my heart in terms of being able to be an example of, uh, a, an organization that I think exhibits some of the best of what organizing can be. 
Well, uh, thank you so much, Jared, uh, for not only this interview, but for the last nine years and for the Richmond bike lanes. Uh, <laughs> I know that uh, you were not the only one, but uh, thank you. If you want to support Cycle Toronto, Cycle Toronto, CycleTO.ca. You got it. All right. Um, and then again, that $30 uh, really does make a difference. Uh, this has been Seven Host Editor, uh, Jared Cole for the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and we'll see you all real soon.